All right, welcome back everybody to, to Impact Debates. My name is Amr Pradhan. I'm a partner at Mobility Impact Partners. Mobility Impact Partners is a coalition of mobility stakeholders that works to identify common challenges, find solutions, and invest in those solutions. We teamed up with Barclays, Carnegie Mellon University, and others with guidance of the American Debate League to create today's program. The resolution for today's debate is, will autonomous vehicles become mainstream within the next 10 years? Arguing that AVs will be mainstream is Brad Templeton. Arguing that AVs will not be mainstream will be Professor Raj Rajkumar. The debate was moderated by Dan Levy, who I'll introduce shortly. Before we get started, there are a few housekeeping details to go over. Uh, please keep yourself on mute and video off until the end of the debate. Uh, this session is being recorded and we'll post the recording at impactdebates.com. The debate is on the record and members of the media are free to use the material. In that regard, please note, very importantly, that all of the participants here are uh, today here in their individual capacities, not as representatives of their organizations or companies. There will not be a question and answer opportunity for the audience during the debate, but please stay on afterwards. Debaters will be available to answer your questions after the event. Finally, we'll poll the audience opinion before and after the debate. Please go now to the chat and thumbs up the position you most agree with. Now a quick intro. Dan is a senior equity research analyst leading coverage of the US autos and mobility industry at Barclays. Prior to rejoining Barclays in 2022, he spent four years as senior equity research analyst at Credit Suisse, where he led coverage of the US auto sector, ranking as runner up in the institutional investor poll each year. He's also spent time at UBS in their equity capital markets group and Morgan Stanley in their private wealth management group. He received an AB in history and economics from the University of Chicago, as well as an MBA from the Booth School of Business. Uh, over to you, Dan. Great, thank you, Amar, and uh, good morning or good afternoon or good evening to you wherever you might be. Um, thank you for joining. I'm Dan Levy. I lead US Auto's research coverage at Barclays, and I'm very pleased to moderate this debate. Uh, I've, I've worked with Mobility Impact Partners uh, on a few of these debates, and I found it's a very informative and fun setting to, just, to digest both sides of critical topics in the mobility industry. So hopefully by the end of today's debate, we'll walk away with better perspective on the path and challenges to bringing autonomous driving to the mainstream, uh, which is quite topical given the history of efforts in this area uh, and you know, the hope of potentially radically altering uh, the mobility experience. I'd like to walk you through the debate structure, which will follow the Oxford debate style. Uh, we'll open with six minute opening statements from each of the debaters, where they will lay out their arguments of pro and con on the core question of whether autonomous driving will be mainstream in 10 years, followed by three minute rebuttal statements. We will then proceed to discussion topics in which the debaters will be posed with three different questions. First, will Tesla, is Tesla's approach to AV viable? Second, what will be scalable and profitable for personal autonomous uh, ownership in the next 10 years? And third, is what will be profitable and scalable for commercial autonomous use cases in the next 10 years? In each of these sections, the debaters will provide three minute opening statements followed by one minute rebuttals. We will then close with two minute closing statements from each of the debaters. All of this should last roughly one hour. So with that, let me introduce the debaters. Uh, taking the pro side of the debate and arguing that autonomous driving will be mainstream in the next 10 years is Brad Templeton. 
Brad has had a, a long career in the autonomous driving space. Um, his website, robocars.com, is the oldest site on the topic. He's a frequent contributor to the media, including on Forbes.com. He's worked on Google's self-driving cars team in early years. He's consulted with a variety of the largest automakers, investors, and a number of startups. In a prior career, he actually uh, founded the world's first dot-com. Taking the con side of the debate and arguing uh, against the, argument, the statement of autonomous driving being mainstream in the next 10 years is Professor Raj Rajkumar. Professor Rajkumar is the George Westinghouse Professor of, in the Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering at Carnegie Mellon University. He serves as a director for a number of organizations in the mobility realm. Both have been involved in the AV space for uh, over many years, and so it should promise to be a very enlightening debate. So with that, let's kick it off. Brad, I'd like to invite you to provide your opening statements on why you think autonomous driving will be mainstream in the next 10 years. All right, thanks. Well, as you can see, my slides are embedded with me and I'm gonna take the affirmative. I'm gonna outline why self-driving vehicles are well on their way to being mainstream in 10 years. And to me, this means uh, that they are available in 50 or more major cities, being sold in decent volumes to private individuals for freeway and major road use. It doesn't mean you can buy a private car that does minor city streets or get a ride in every town. Now, we have actually see already pilot services operating in 31 cities around the world, San Francisco, Phoenix, Austin, Shanghai, Beijing, uh, Shenzhen, Wuhan, Toronto, many others. Crews just, I think, announced uh, or put up ads saying they'll go into uh, Dallas and Atlanta. Uh, Smaller delivery robot services are running in many more. Now, these passenger services are pilots, although some of the delivery services are actually out in production. I've made a map that you actually see behind me, and you can find on the web, of cities where services have been deployed or shortly will be deployed with no employee in the vehicle. And it's much more populated than people actually expect when they think this is many years away. Now, this has come, of course, through the March of Moore's Law. Combined, though, with the greatest effort in robotics in history and a huge amount of detail work. Now, some people say that it's just been a lot of hype, and I've been one of the people maybe doing some of that hype. But most of it was from marketing people who didn't really understand what was going on, and we're definitely in the trough in Gartner's famous chart. But that enlightenment is coming. To understand how this grows, you must understand that the core target is the robo-taxi, not the private car, which many people think, and that perfection is not necessary. It's not even the right goal before you can get to deployment and even commercial success. What matters when you want to deploy a taxi or delivery is that it's got to be commercially viable. It's got to handle a particular region or subset of streets, and it may be supplemented by other things like car share transit, TNC Uber sort of stuff, and car delivery. It does not have to do everything. It doesn't need to do all weather. doesn't have to handle all streets. To get really big, it just has to offer a service area that's large enough that it can offer car replacement to the urban dweller. And that can be quite lucrative, but it can also actually be pretty lucrative if all you do is replace Uber. That's nobody's goal. That's $34 billion business. Here we see Waymo's map of their Phoenix territory recently doubling and getting much larger. Now, you can do this when you've reached a suitable level of safety as well as a level of road citizenship. To do that, you need a, an MTBF, mean time between failure, better than human. You need your error rate low enough, and the severity of error is low enough 
but you but you don't need to be error free, and that's very important. Now, to solve this, one basic approach that several of the teams have followed is just to have seen so much of road traffic in your areas in millions of miles of testing in billions of miles of sim that the frequency of surprises is low. You'll never get rid of surprises entirely, but you can cut their frequency down. And even though corner cases don't just happen on the corners, you can measure how often you are surprised and you can also measure how well you handle surprises and you won't handle them all, but you can see how well you generally do and get your MTBF low enough and be ready to pilot, which they are, and then to deploy. Now, multiple companies have already reached that level, as I said, at least on safety, and they're working on reaching that level in road citizenship. Now, they've made a raft of great tools to get this confidence. Amazing LIDARs with great resolution, performance that will never miss something that's there, imaging radars with velocity detection and weather penetration. This video shows uh, Waymo's LIDAR view showing flagmen on a road closed without, and by the way, this car handled this situation without the use of remote assist in order to understand the police officer and turn around. Now, computer vision isn't ready for prime time on its own. It's improving rapidly, though, and improving in the most important task of prediction. And it's dropping in price. They're all dropping in price and soaring in performance. Even if you don't believe them today, it would be foolish to bet against them just a few years from now, let alone 10 years into the future. Now, uh, Waymo is the leader. Uh, I worked on that team, as was mentioned a decade ago. I continue to be impressed by them. Cruise is a little bit behind, but it's also reaching milestones. We've also seen the press over both teams having stall outs and mistakes in San Francisco with emergency workers blocking, blocking traffic and being confused, or even having to wait for a rescue driver when the team doesn't trust their remote assistance to be 100% safe. Now, these seem silly and make it seem like they're not at all close to ready. But the truth is, this is actually what you want to see. The cars are on the roads to find mistakes and fix them. Um, yeah, Waymo paused trucking yesterday. We'll talk about that in the later section of this debate on commercial services. Now, nobody's been hurt by Waymo, and Cruises does have had a, a small number of minor injury accidents, but they still have a better safety record than human in their unmanned operation. The great thing about robots is that unlike people, they don't repeat the same mistake twice. Almost every problem you see encountered and reported in the news is actually a success, something that's been found and shouldn't happen again. Listing reported problems isn't a rebuttal to this. You must show that problems are truly intractable, even by those smarter than yourself. And, you know, that's, most people are smarter than us in this room, I'm going to guess. Now, I will also say for skeptics, I'm not actually a believer of this, it's also worth noting that within 10 years, the communications infrastructure is going to be really great, and that's got nothing to do with the self-driving cars. Long before 10 years, we'll see highly reliable, fast, and low-latency communications in all the needed zones, enough so that if you had to, you could resolve problems with remote driving. Most of the teams don't do that. That's not how they want to, but they will have that option if not uh, if to not deploy. Now, China's also going very strong, over 300 teams. Here you can see AutoX's thousand car fleet in Shenzhen. Um, you'll see the United States and China more than anybody else. I'm not a fan of infrastructure approaches, but the Chinese do do that infrastructure. So back to the core thesis. The reason people don't think this technology will succeed is they define the problem as harder than it is. To get real business serving lots of people, all you need is a decent robotaxi service and a lucrative Zone in a major city. You don't have to drive every road. 
And I'll quickly show you this little piece of newspaper clipping from 2028, that's almost 100 years ago, talking about the death of the horse and buggy industry in just two years when the time came. Do you think the pace of change was faster in 2020 than it is to today? Moore's Law will always surprise you. I don't think you should bet against it. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much, Brad. Okay. Let's pivot to the con side of the debate and arguing against autonomous driving being mainstream in the next 10 years is Professor Raj Rajkumar. Raj, please go ahead. You have six, you have six minutes. Uh, thank you, Dan. Uh, just to add a little bit more uh, intro about uh, where I come from, I was uh, the lead of the systems engineering group of the CMU team that won the 2007 DARPA Urban Challenge. Uh, that event, in my view, was the event that triggered the creation of the AV industry that we know today. And I've been working with the General Motors for about uh, 18 years consecutively, uh, starting in 2004. So I'm extremely uh, intricately aware of the technology progress, uh, the promises that have been made and such. So uh, we do uh, AV software development on a daily basis. We test on uh, uh, private tracks and simulation on uh, and on public roads in uh, Pittsburgh and beyond. So I really come in with that uh, visceral experience, if you want, number one. Uh, number two, I am very optimistic about uh, autonomous vehicles literally transforming the face of transportation as we know it. Uh, I only do think that it's going to take time. It's a very complex domain. Uh, next slide, please. So the key points I want to make is that I guess uh, uh, my uh, fellow uh, debater here, uh, Brad, talked about the hype. Let me touch upon that. Uh, let me give you a sense for the complexities of the domain, why it's taking so long, and we are not there yet uh, towards where AVs were supposed to be by this, uh, this point in time. I will talk about the technology and primarily its limitations, which is actually going to take time. Let me talk about the business side of robot taxis. I'll talk about dependability and scalability that Brad uh, touched upon. And I will basically make the opposite case that Brad did. I think there's a strong case to be made for consumer vehicles becoming highly automated, right? I'm talking about high degrees of automation, not full autonomy, right? Next slide, please. So I guess uh, the hype has been for quite some time since uh, 2007 plus is that uh, autonomous ride sharing, given that Uber, Lyft were into the game as well, it would get rid of vehicle ownership within a year. So go to 2010-2011, Moore's Law was in operation since then, we are 2023, we are nowhere close to uh, getting rid of vehicle ownership, right? So one has to take these things with a big grain of salt, right? Mursla really is really on the semiconductor side of things. Things get faster. Things getting faster does not mean that we likely accomplish uh, the intelligence required to basically drive a vehicle autonomous. They are completely two different domains. If your raw performance is alone not sufficient, we need to basically make uh, functional uh, paradigm ch uh, changes, improvements, enhancements. So the reality is that today we are 16 years since the 2007 DARPA Urban Challenge. Uh, Google slash Waymo literally had its roots there. Uh, Larry Page and Sergey Brin were at the event when the final actually happened, opened up their eyes. They hired a bunch of key people from uh, CMU Stanford and the rest is history as they say. And meanwhile, companies like Argo AI, Embark have shut down. Companies like Neuro have been uh, scaling back despite investments of uh, billions of dollars, if you will, with a B, right? So question really is what went wrong? Well, next slide, please. The, the domain of driving is enormously complex. 
all of us adults in the room today drive, so we take it for granted, but it turns out there's actually a massive uh, mess of different things actually happen at all, all the time. And then we humans are just intelligent, flexible, adaptive enough to basically react to those situations on the fly, even when the situation is something that we have never ever seen before, right? The AI of today will not know what to do when it encounters a situation it has not been programmed to do, it's not in the data, the training set for the data, right? So more specifically, is really this huge, massive cross product of a long list of weather conditions, lighting conditions, traffic conditions, and road conditions, rural, urban tunnels, and so on and so forth, right? Let's take bad weather, you have to deal with uh, maybe rain possibly, snow conditions, fog conditions, work zones. Work zones can be changing all the time. The work zone itself could be moving. Detours may be in place. Uh, when construction is going on, driving may be forced to go onto the shoulders, which may not be in the roadmaps and so on and so forth. So work zones in, its, in itself actually constitute a very uh, complex set of use cases. Uh, the next piece, basically the picture says, uh, says it all. Flagmen, basically uh, a flagman can actually use props of very different kinds. They may not use props at all, just use hand gestures. And humans, uh, of course, they are humans. They need to take a break and they'll basically be paying attention, not pay attention, be ambiguous and so on. So just basically these three sets of conditions, which can happen in combinations, of course, bad weather, work zones with flagmen, could be include flag women, of course, as well. These are very hard problems for computers to solve anytime in the near future. So we have to be very cautious about what we mean by autonomy. Full autonomy is a long way away. Right? All these robo-taxi companies, therefore, are restricting themselves to uh, regions and cities where the weather is good, where the lighting tends to be good, and then when these, uh, uh, quote-unquote, uh, edge cases actually happen, they basically say, hey, we're going to basically uh, lend remote assist, or basically have the vehicle just basically wait there, send out uh, a physical uh, group of people to basically retrieve the vehicle from there and so on. Right? So uh, yes, we have various deployments, if you will, but they are not where they need to be to be scalable and to make money and become a viable business. Next slide. So the technology limitations, basically, I guess, uh, there's this common death way analogy that we'll talk about in the first segment of the uh, debate when we move on to uh, three specific topics. The analogy goes like, oh, humans, we drive with eyes alone, because we use our ears too, but so therefore, computers can drive with uh, cameras alone. The human brain is not a computer and vice versa. Uh, AI is the word that's, of course, being bandied everywhere. I really think of computer intelligence as an alternate alternative form of intelligence. That's my uh, expansion of AI, not artificial, where it is not human intelligence. The human brain can reason, contextualize, generalize, and specialize. And hundreds of millions of years of evolution made we humans who we are. And uh, I guess I've said this already, robot taxis of today, they do require interventions by dispatch health, even under relatively benign operating conditions of various kinds and so on and so on. Brad brought this up. I am a strong believer in infrastructure support, which will actually help uh, vehicles go a very long way. Next, next slide. The business model, I guess, uh, I would let me posit this uh, very, very bluntly, if you will. The revenue model is actually lacking for Waymo, the lead in the, the domain, and GM Cruise, where they are spending, uh, uh, for example, Waymo alone could be spending uh, easily one to 1.5 
billion dollars a year with a B, and the revenue streams are minuscule, right? They've been trying to raise multiple rounds of investments and so on. It is not clear that they actually have the funding pipeline. Of course, their uh, parent actually has uh, deep uh, pockets, if you will, but even they have been saying they go raise funds externally and that external funding has dried up. Why? Because the scalability does not seem to be there. The deployment timeline don't seem to be there and profits are nowhere in the horizon, right? Uh, and then meanwhile, there are skewed usage patterns. These robo-taxis should be running all the time to basically make money, but you'll have high demand during peak hours, very little demand uh, in off-peak hours and so on. So it's not clear that the vehicles should be making money all the time. This is absolutely required because the investments that are required are very large, right? And basically the bottom line is that robo-taxis today are money six. All of that basically is about, hey, the market is multiple trillions of dollars per year, and therefore we should be investing, but it, companies including Waymo, GM Cruise, investing billions and billions of dollars with basically the uh, uh, the crossover point when uh, things become profitable is a long, 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 long time away. And the question really is that, will management continue to support these kinds of investments, right? When management changes, expect dramatic reductions, exactly what happened to uh, uh, Argo AI, right? Basically management changed and they said, I don't see money being spent uh, robot taxis, let's go spend money on adding uh, automation features for consumer vehicles. Next slide. So I guess, so just to uh, uh, place my uh, bottom line here, I think uh, high automation, not full autonomy, is a revenue generator today, keeps the automotive business viable and attractive. You add sensors, you add uh, ADAS plus automation capabilities, and then a human driver may be present to take over only when needed. And then I do believe that full safe autonomy is what I like to call it, will be possible in the next 10 days, not full autonomy, where remote guidance may be available if a human is not present, or the human will be asked to take over and drive whenever the software cannot handle the situation at hand. Basically, the AV asks for help as needed, Otherwise, the human need not pay attention to the task at hand. So this is where I think the business is viable and the technology becomes viable and it buys the automotive industry and the technology time to basically incrementally evolve so that slowly but steadily we conquer that huge, massive uh, set of operating conditions, if you will. Next slide. So putting it, I guess I'm going to play this video in the background. Uh, if you can play the video, uh, it's just playable. Uh, video is not playing. It's so not, sorry. Yeah, so that's fine. So I guess this is a video where uh, my team had developed uh, here in uh, CMU uh, in Pittsburgh. It actually drives from uh, the urban campus of Carnegie Mellon University, goes uh, all the way to a township called Cranberry, about uh, uh, 30 miles away, uh, 55 traffic lights uh, going through uh, urban roads, uh, uh, joining, uh, merging into, a, uh, into a, a highway, taking interstate highways, taking exit, going through a three different business districts and so on and so forth, and does it fully autonomous if you want, right? So I'm fully aware of uh, what the technology can do today. It's my group actually that uh, developed it, but I'm also extremely circumspect of basically overgeneralizing that saying that, hey, we can do this in all sorts of conditions and make money in the time frame that we are talking about. So uh, let me uh, wrap up at that point and we'll go back to a rebuttal phase, I guess. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much, Raj. Um... Excellent. So I think we have two two different approaches here. I think you're both saying that there has been very clear progress 
Brad saying there is more of an opportunity we're getting here. Uh, Professor Rajkumar, you know, you're arguing a bit more opportunity on the consumer side and just tempering expectations and, and thinking about some of the, 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 you know, the practical sides of this. So we're going to go into rebuttal portion. Brad, you have three minutes to uh, issue rebuttal comments to uh, Professor Rajkumar. Okay, well, I mean, I think it's good that I showed the Gartner hype cycle because this is the pattern of history. We see things, a few things not working. Uh, we don't understand the uh, the March of Moore's Law, and so we're very tempted to say, oh, my God, this is not going as planned. Uh, and, of course, it never goes exactly as people imagined or planned, unless we're all geniuses. But I don't think the things I've seen are intractable problems that would make you make the prediction that this is not going to happen. And that includes in the business model. Now, uh, first of all, as I've mentioned, Uber makes $34 billion a year. It's well worth spending a couple of billion dollars in investment over several years if you think you'd have a shot at just that business. And I think everyone thinks they have a shot at a great deal more than that business over time, not immediately. But uh, a lot of people have asked sort of what went wrong. And I think the thing that went wrong is that uh, the people who are not high tech companies like Ford that shut down Argo um, never had the same ambition as companies like Google and Waymo and uh, Amazon with Zooks and GM with uh, Cruise and so on. They didn't think about it this way. They didn't want to see their industry turned upside down, uh, by, especially by high tech companies. And so it's not surprising that they want to pull away from it. Now, all of the things that Raj listed, all of those complexities and weather issues, none of them are unknown to the major teams working on this. Everyone who is optimistic is fully aware of all of those problems and, in fact, is fully aware of more problems. They spend all day discovering new problems every day, and they know about them, and they're continuing to invest. Some are not, but many of them are continuing to invest. What you're seeing today, for example, with the vehicles in San Francisco, which get stalled for 10 minutes because they send a remote driver, that's them being too conservative. That's them being too safe. They run into a problem. The remote assist team decides we could give this vehicle some guidance for how to get out of this, but we're not 100% confident that that's safe. And we know that sending a person is 100% safe, even if very, very annoying. Now, that's turned out to annoy the city officials far more than they probably expected it to. So I think they made the wrong choice and should have moved to being able to get the vehicles out more soon. But that's very much a hiccup, not an intractable problem that keeps us away from 10 years um, or from this being here in 10 years. Yes, of course, humans are not AI. But the driving problem is not the same as doesn't require you to be a human. I've often said it requires artificial horse intelligence, uh, you know, that a horse can navigate the roads even without its human on board and deal things. So, um, yeah, yeah, no, I got that. So I don't think billions a year is too much. Uh, I think that um, we can solve these problems. And I think that a lot of very informed people are working very hard at solving these problems. Uh, I am not scared of it. Uh, I want to talk about the business problems when we get into the section on the commercial applications of this. I think the business opportunities remain extremely high. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Brad. Okay, Professor Rajkumar, you have three minutes to issue rebuttal. Uh, no, th thank you, Dan. Thank you. Thank you, Brad. Uh, so let's separate uh, this into uh, really uh, two orthogonal dimensions. One, is the tractability of the problem, which is really a technology oriented. Let's then talk about the uh, business and other related aspects of your. So uh, 
on the tractability side, uh, so I'm a technologist. I've been working on uh, intelligent uh, autonomous vehicles, connected vehicles for a long time now, uh, 19 years and, and running fuel. I am very optimistic. I'm very bullish because that's what I do uh, for a living on a day-to-day -day basis myself, right? So I, I do believe it's tractable. But I guess what I'm saying is that uh, the domain is so complex that it's going to take time, right? Uh, we have already spent uh, 16 years since the uh, 2007 challenge. We need more time. So uh, human intelligence evolved literally over hundreds of millions of years. Don't expect to basically get that level of intelligence, uh, something equivalent or better within 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Give us more time. We will accomplish that. We will be able to uh, drive uh, safely, if you will, uh, uh, autonomously, vehicle uh, driving themselves, maybe with support from the infrastructure, and we will save lots and lots of lives. So that is what drives my work itself. We can actually save lives, uh, minimize injuries and so on and so forth. And meanwhile, uh, uh, people who cannot drive will be driven around autonomously and so on. They, their quality of life will go up. So I am a very, I'm very bullish about the tractability. It's only a question about the timeline itself. Going back to Brad's chart, if you will, uh, it really has to be extended uh, towards the right, if you will. We will get there eventually, lower than the hype, if you will, but we will get there. So it, it is tractable, but it's going to take time, primarily because the sensors need to become uh, cheaper, uh, more uh, capable. And meanwhile, I think we probably need to bring in even more sensor types and uh, so on and so forth. So that's on the tractability side, we need time. On the other side of the business side, which is where the pressures are coming from, all these companies, including GM Cruise and uh, Waymo, they need money to keep the development process up and running. Right now, their revenue streams are minuscule compared to their expense infrastructure. The question is how long can business put in the dollars, hoping that money will actually turn up some 10, 20, 30 years down the road, right? So really that's a question to review. Well, I worry about this so much so that the US Department of Transportation is worried about, hey, venture capital has begun to dry up. Does the government need to step in so that we can actually keep pace with the Chinese and so on and so forth? And because it is transformative and beneficial to the transportation industry. I guess there are other issues like, of course, the regulatory aspects, if you will, societal acceptance and so on. So it's basically that complete uh, uh, list of things that need to actually fall into place before it can happen. So let's not exaggerate, let's not hype it again, let's basically keep it uh, promising. Uh, thank, thank you, Dan. Great, okay. Okay, so that's, that's a good uh, opening section. I think we have a sense of each of your sides of the debate. Um, let's get, now into uh, some of the topics that I think many of you are critical on and uh, will you know, we'll want to know some color on. And I think the first is on Tesla. Is Tesla's approach uh, viable? Just as a reminder, Tesla is unique in its approach to AV versus others. Tesla, Tesla is using a vision-only approach, no LIDAR, uh, limited use of radar, or no use of radar, no HD maps contrast versus what you've seen from others, which are relying on a variety of sensors and maps, et cetera. Tesla's really leaning into the AI side of it. So Brad and Professor Raj Kumar, you each have uh, three minutes to provide uh, your response to this question. Brad, please go ahead. Well, actually, I think Raj and I uh, are pretty much in agreement on being pessimistic about Tesla's uh, prospects here, although he's a, even more pessimistic than I am. So I own a Tesla and I've written some or made some very scathing YouTube reviews that those who want to uh, see me rip uh, new things into the Tesla can, can go and watch. 
Um, Tesla's error is actually that they're trying to make things cheap too quickly. Um, they're saying, we want to do it with the lowest cost sensors, the ones that are already in the car. Uh, and we're hoping they make this canard about humans can do it with their eyes. So therefore, it must be possible. And I keep pointing out that birds also fly by flapping their wings. But that's unlikely how we're going to design jetliners. So uh, the Tesla approach might work. I call it a long shot bet. I mean, a breakthrough in computer vision is not impossible. We've seen a number of breakthroughs in a number of fields of AI that have surprised pretty much all of us in the field. And you can't deny that such breakthroughs are possible, but they are a long shot bet. I think the other companies are making smarter approaches by basically saying, let's take every tool at our hands, the LIDARs, the radars, the infrared cameras, everything they can get their hands on, make it work in an expensive way. Raj thinks it's too expensive and they'll fail because of cost, but make it work in an expensive way and then later make it cheap, which oddly enough was the Tesla master plan. Uh, there's an irony because Tesla built itself by saying, let's build a very expensive sporty car and see what we can do with that and then let's make it cheap later. Now, I will give one interesting shot to some things that Tesla does that I think are very smart and could give them a victory if they can pull off this technology bet. They've pre-sold 500,000 people a self-driving car that doesn't exist, charging them up to $15,000 each. That's a pretty remarkable. In fact, that's more than I expect it to cost in the future to retrofit existing cars to have self-driving ability in terms of adding the sensors and compute that you'll need to do. So even if Tesla completely fails with their computer vision project, they can buy some team that gets canceled because uh, they, their owners followed Raj and said, we're not going to pay for this anymore. They can buy one of those teams and then start retrofitting their cars for $5,000 or $8,000 and still have another $8,000 in profit uh, when they sell it to them. So that's an interesting position. Nobody else, you know, Raj says nobody's making money at this. Tesla's actually making money. They're selling something they don't have, but they're making huge amounts of money selling it. So it actually gives you some hope for the possibility they might be able to do something. But nonetheless, the approach of trying to do it cheap first seems like the wrong approach. And that's why most of us don't believe they're a serious contender right now. Great. Thank you, Brad. Uh, I know both of you are on the same page, but Raj, maybe you'd like to provide some other sides uh, to this question. Go ahead. Uh, yes. You have three minutes. Yes, I guess, uh, as Brad pointed out, when Tesla wanted to introduce uh, the autopilot and so on and so forth, which are, of course, obviously misnomers, uh, the only way they could have done it is using cameras because LIDARs were too expensive, right? So that's the only way they could do it. And, uh, and our cameras only spit out uh, numbers corresponding to pixel values and such. So you need to basically have vision processing AI to do that. And let's all be clear on it, right? AI has gone uh, through uh, multiple phases, remarkable accomplishment for the past uh, 10 years or so, but the best AI technology out there will, pro will produce false positives and false negatives, right? There's no way around it, right? So you feed all kinds of data, if you will. Tomorrow, you can see uh, a set of data in the real world that the training set never had because it never had happened before, right? A new new look of, uh, of, of the roads, of the structures, vehicles, and so on and so forth. So AI will always basically be problematic, right? As it currently stands, we can, of course, and the AI community, for example, thought about four years back, oh, we are making, making so much progress. In two years, the AI driving problem will be solved, okay? Now go talk to them, they'll say, not even how it's going to happen in 10 years. So uh, expectations blow up initially, but the reality is really far behind. So I think uh, without LIDARs and radars, 
I would urge everybody online who's using a Tesla, please be extremely cautious. Do not assume that uh, Tesla vehicles can drive themselves. They will not, and be, I guess, uh, do the right thing for yourself and for your family, right? So uh, that's just, they, it is just level two technology and will be likely level two technology for a long time to come, as long as they use only cameras, right? Just be very careful about that. Uh, with respect to the other thing that they do is that they do not use HD maps, right? I turn out that I actually tend to agree with it uh, to a quite a uh, degree. Having HD maps, which is what GM Cruise seems to be using, what AMO seems to be using, is not very scalable because the world changes all the time, seasons change all the time, if you will. So I do actually tend to agree to uh, agree with what Tesla is doing to at least to a certain degree there. But you do need map information, lane level information, but not the high definition resolution that's required of maps that many people uh, have in mind. So with respect to, I guess, uh, uh, Tesla buying out a different company and so on and so, so forth, we all know, I guess, the person leading Tesla, I would be blown away if he basically uh, gives up on his ego and goes by some different company and says, I was wrong there. Right? So I don't think a person like that will ever admit that uh, he was wrong. Back to you, Dan. Great. Uh, thank you, Professor Rajkumar. Okay, I think you each have uh, one minute to provide rebuttals on, on each of the sides. I think you're sort of on the same page, but there is a little bit of a, of, of, of a nuance. Uh, but go ahead, uh, Brad, please provide uh, your rebuttal. You have uh, one minute. Yeah, I'm. I, we, we both said the same thing on that. Uh, actually, believe it or not, now Elon has certainly gone crazy with Twitter, I'll tell you that. But uh, he actually is able to uh, change his mind on things. He's, he's very slow to do it sometimes. But uh, he blew up his Starship rocket by not having events underneath it, which everyone says should have. He's definitely going to change his mind on that. There's a bunch of things. We've certainly seen that happen in the rocket space, less so in the car space. But every so often it does happen, and I've known the people who work with them. So I don't think that's out of the question. Um, you know, whether or not, uh, uh, I mean, I think the lighters are actually already quite cheap, uh, especially uh, ones from China. Um, they're coming down uh, to prices which will not be a barrier to anyone making a robotaxi. They're still expensive for consumer cars, although there are already several consumer cars that have got LIDARs in them in order to do various ADAS functions. So I don't think uh, we're actually uh, that far away from having LIDAR at a consumer price. So there's uh, uh, they might change their mind. Oh, just very quickly about maps. Tesla does use maps. They just pretend they don't. Uh, maps do scale just fine. Um, I'll, we'll talk about what some of the company's scaling maps have done later if you want. Great. Thank you. Uh, I think we'd all be very fascinated to actually see if Tesla pivots on the, the LiDAR side. Uh, Professor Rajkumar, please, you have a minute to respond. Uh, thank you, Dan. Uh, so I think Brad and I are pretty much on the same page, if you will. Uh, I think LiDARs are being deployed in consumer cars in some of the uh, Chinese models, if you will. Uh, that needs to be, uh, they need to be installed in uh, US cars and European cars as well. A uh, couple of things. One is that uh, it's not clear that the LiDARs being currently being deployed are robust enough to basically last for several years on bumpy roads. It's, that's not clear. Some of them have been failing at a much higher rate than would be acceptable to a consumer, number one. Uh, number two, I do believe that uh, all the most of the current uh, LiDAR technologies out there will hopefully die. And I think what will end up being present is basically optical, uh, what are they called, optical semiconductor uh, technology. Basically, all the technology required basically will be in a single uh, semiconductor CMOS chip, if you will, uh, with zero fibers. And therefore, that could be very cheap to manufacture. 
very compact, uh, uh, very nice form factors and so on. And uh, the cost will end up probably being of the order of uh, a few hundred bucks. We're talking $300, $400. That's the price, price oh. point when things actually become uh, very, very attractive. Thank you. Great. Uh, okay. Interesting. Uh, very interesting. Very topical, especially uh, given uh, the, the investment, uh, the, 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 uh, the discussion within the investment debate. Okay. Um, let's pivot to our second discussion topic. And the second topic is, will there be scalable and profitable uh, AVs for personal ownership in the next 10 years? We've seen, you know, a, a lot of pushes on this front. You know, we've, we've heard about GM, you know, offering consumer AVs. Obviously, we just talked about Tesla, but that's obviously consumer application. Mobileye, another entry in the field, they're, they're talking about consumer AV applications. Um, so go ahead, uh, Brad, you have three minutes uh, to provide some contact, some color on this topic. Well, actually, uh, even though I was a bit of a high priest of that for a long time, I have moderated my view on that. I don't think that the consumer full self-driving robocar, as I call it, uh, is um, a super viable product in the early days. But I think is viable will be a vehicle that can drive the uh, major roads, you know, not the long tail, basically the highways, the arterial roads that the commuter can take the car to an arterial and then it can do the job to, until it gets to the end of the freeways and arterials. And of course, we have seen Mercedes for sale in Germany and now in Nevada, um, a car that will do the full driving task on a highway at traffic jam speeds. Now that's a much easier problem to handle traffic jam speeds, but they keep promising that they're going to have a vehicle for you um, to do Autobahn speeds very soon. And I don't think it's too much of a stretch to suggest that this could commonly be available uh, in 10 years and become mainstream, the subject of our debate. So um, that is a viable product. That's something people will pay for. It's a premium product. It'll start in luxury cars and move its way down. Uh, it is what Tesla also feels it's making, although Tesla's trying, as I say, to do this city street product as well. So I think there'll be a market for that. Um, the robo-taxi is actually an easier product, even though it has to drive all of the city streets, which is difficult, because you can constrain where it drives as long as it's commercially viable. A taxi that'll only take you around Manhattan is a viable product, even though it has to deal with all the small streets of Manhattan. You cannot make a Chevy Tahoe that only works at Lake Tahoe. That's not a product that anybody would buy. It's no good to have to build one city at a time. The robo-taxi business can be built one city at a time, and that allows it to be a viable growing business that can be made profitable region by profitable region, starting where there's no snow, for example, if you don't think you have uh, the ability to handle snow. You can't sell a car across the United States if it doesn't have the ability to handle those weather conditions on all the roads that you warrant that it will sell on. That actually makes it much harder. And it turns out that the commercial value of driving those last, that long tail of few streets isn't as high as we would like. People mostly want to get their time back from a product like that. It's not doing all of the other great things. It does hopefully provide you better safety, but it's not doing the ability to have a cloud of cars that can suddenly serve people and create a whole new style of transportation, which is the, the real long-term goal we're after with the robo-taxi. So it can happen. I think it will happen, but it won't be if people are imagining it a car that can drive them everywhere. What it will do, though, possibly, is be able to drive short local distances to park itself in nearby parking lots 
uh, or stand there, as I call it, or also to recharge itself. Cars that recharge themselves are actually a very interesting product with a lot of consequences for our energy system. And I think we could see some great stuff there. Great. Thank you, Brad, Professor Rajkumar. And I think, you know, you, you noted it in your initial comments, you know, uh, a push toward the consumer side of it. So please go ahead. You have three minutes on this topic. Uh, so Dan, I presume this is only about uh, the private vehicle space. Uh, uh, Brad touched upon the uh, public space, which is also the next question as well. Uh, any, anyway, uh, I am very bullish about the uh, private vehicle space in the sense that uh, people, consumers today, pay for uh, safety packages, ADAS packages, and uh, uh, quote-unquote automation features like uh, Super Cruise, Blue Cruise, uh, autopilot, uh, the misnomer uh, FSD, and so on and so forth. And uh, people buy this automatic emergency braking, it has all those features. So it is a well-known money-making business today. Right? And once you basically add, uh, for example, LIDARs, even more radars, and basically add some processing capability, the, the driving features functions can be significantly enhanced. Right? Uh, as Brad said, yes, we should be able to drive on uh, highways, arterial roads, and I don't see any fundamental problem basically having the vehicles drive down the side streets as well. Uh, the side streets, the speeds are lower and therefore the risks are lower. And with the LIDAR in the picture, radar in the picture, uh, through cameras and infrared, you can actually see in the dark, react to it. So I do believe that uh, the uh, scope of automation functionality will keep increasing. Right? So number one, there are two elements uh, which go hand in hand. One, these are both viable, technically speaking, Number two, it's financially feasible, right? Because you are making money off of it. You're not basically betting on something in the future, which may or may not happen within the timeline that you're seeking, right? So those two elements, I think, which will actually help. And meanwhile, with these vehicles out there driving, collecting data, collecting experience, if you want, we can keep moving that frontier forward. And when you run into edge cases today that you cannot deal with, uh, uh, the human steps in from the vehicle or remote assist car, kicks in, you may actually pay a subscription fee for that uh, service, or if you are in the vehicle, you take over, you're not paying attention, but then when the vehicle calls for help, you basically step in and deal with the situation. And as we learn more and more, we basically keep expanding the frontier. And one fine day, we will reach what, what I call full safe autonomy, not full autonomy, but full safe autonomy. Aviation is the safest mode of transportation today, primarily because Planes refuse to take off when the weather is bad. They refuse to land when the weather is bad, right? Those are very classic examples that the FAA has, been, has put in place for a very long time. The same thing will happen. The vehicle, the autonomous vehicle will actually be uh, self-aware, so to speak. Know that in these conditions, it is not safe for me to drive. And therefore, I will not drive. The human can take over or I will pull, pull over to the side and stop. So that full safe autonomy, I think that's actually going to be the viable uh, piece of uh, uh, deployment. And that I believe will happen in the next 10 years. Great, okay. So clear opportunities on the uh, personal or, or consumer uh, side. Uh, Brad, uh, maybe you'd like to provide a little further color on this topic you have. One minute. Yeah, actually, I was a little uh, confused 
Raj, whether you meant that we would get cars, which you didn't have to look at the road at all, even on city streets, which means you've built and solved the robo-taxi problem, and so I think you're way ahead. Or if you were talking about ADAS, where you have to watch, which of course uh, is, I don't think, I've tried it, I have the Tesla FSD. It's not a pleasant product to use. I don't think it's a product that people actually want to use. There are some people, but a lot of people won't. Um, level three, I, I never use these levels, they don't actually exist, but a car that uh, the driver is in there and he has to take over with, a, a, you know, 10 to 20 seconds warning. Um, uh, there's a number of people who've done tests on that. We did them at uh, pre-Waymo and we found it not to be a safe thing, that you could not guarantee that people would come in and do that within the amount of time occasionally. They would do it most of the time, but occasionally they would not. And so many people have said that, that is not a good product to make. Uh, and so that's why I don't think it's all that commercially viable. I think that doing ADAS on city streets where the car can suddenly turn um, and you have to be on the watch for that and know whether you agree with it or not, I don't think that's a pleasant thing to drive with. And as an unpleasant thing to drive with, it won't be that commercially viable. Great. Uh, thank you. R Raj, would you like to respond? One minute. Sure. Uh, that, that, thank you, Dan. Uh, with respect to that uh, issue of... Uh, reaction time, response time from humans. So Brad, I agree with you that uh, we should not expect the human to uh, uh, regain attention within 10, 20 seconds, take over, do the right thing. So I do believe that the vehicle itself will basically be conservative and then you likely bring the vehicle to a safe state, uh, very slow speed or even to a stop before the human's uh, assistance will be engaged. And meanwhile, it turns the flashes or so on and so forth. I do not, I, I hear the results from uh, Google, I don't think that's the way I would formulate it, speaking as a professor. So, so to me, I would basically say uh, the vehicle takes the vehicle to a safe state and the human jumps in after that, could be two minutes later, but the, the vehicle is still in a safe state. Uh, with respect to the levels, if you will, uh, uh, I think uh, people in the audience need to know this, pretty much all car makers out there have pretty much given up hope on quote-unquote uh, level five, level four plus and so on. They're looking at, hey, uh, let's bring to the market level two, level three, I guess. I don't like the levels like uh, Brad does not. Uh, level two, level three features is basically what they are focusing on. That pretty much tells you where the money is and where the technology is. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Professor Rajkumar. And I, I would generally agree if you look at the commentary from the automakers, with the exception of uh, Tesla, there's really no one else that's talking about uh, full autonomy. Um, you know, maybe it's through an, a, a JV or an entity like Cruise, but otherwise, the push has been to scalable solutions from uh, the automakers. So it's just a question of how exactly that's rolled out to consumers. Um, okay, so that's the, the personal ownership side. The other side of this is the commercial use case. Will uh, scalable and profitable autonomous drive for commercial use cases be available in the next 10 years? I think we've seen this in a variety of settings. Uh, the most notable one is the robo-taxi lead approach. We've heard about the idea of autonomous pods, companies like Neuro, or even trucking, uh, you know, companies such as Waymo, uh, Aurora, which does both. Um, so uh, there's a variety of commercial use cases. Uh, Brad, I invite you to provide your perspectives. You have three minutes. Yeah, well, of course, I did spend a bit of my early time on the robotaxi, and I believe that is where the highest commercial value lies, because if you make a successful robotaxi business that gets people to decide, as New Yorkers do, 75% of New Yorkers do not own cars because they find suitable other transportation, and they are Americans, people say Americans will never give up their cars, 
Um, if you can make that happen, you own the whole value chain. You're selling them the car, you're selling them the insurance, the parking, uh, everything about the energy, of course, everything about automotive goes through you. And that's a very lucrative and nice place to be. It's what has attracted a lot of people into getting into that space. Now, the other commercial spaces, frankly, we're seeing quite a bit of a downturn in trucking. Yesterday, we saw Waymo declare that they would hold back their trucking efforts, focus only on the robo taxi. We saw uh, Too Simple shut down its operations in um, the United States. We also saw, however, Aurora, which is run by Chris Ermson, who uh, led the Waymo team for much of its life, receive an extra $800 million in funding they raised in private placement and in the public markets. So there's obviously not complete doom and gloom about long-haul trucking. However, the reason long-haul trucking has run into some suspicion is that even though driving on the freeway is a much easier problem than driving on the city streets, and therefore you can feel more confident about how reliable your vehicle will be, the kinetic energy is, of course, many times higher. And so the one mistake you will have will be a mistake of much more severe consequences. You also have people who ask about the employment issue. It doesn't turn out to be real. Um, there is such a shortage of truck drivers out there that no one's going to lose their job to a robot for many, many years to come when it comes from trucking automation. But this is scaring people away from trucking a bit. Now, delivery, though, is not. So Gatic is a company uh, which is now running empty trucks, delivering things between warehouses in Toronto and for Walmart in Arkansas, and they're expanding their service. Those are happening every day. This is a real thing. It's a commercial operation. They are getting money for it. Um, and they think the middle mile of trucking is where they'll find a lucrative thing. Uh, Einride is, from Sweden is also focusing on electrifying trucks through the use of remote driving and, and, uh, and automation. And they are getting money and having success. So the long haul trucking part is seeing problems, but the robo taxi is still where I think you'll see it. And we also mentioned, of course, the freeway cars. I actually think car delivery is an interesting business. That's uh, like cars that come to you, uh, but then you drive them. Um, can be actually a very nice way to do car share compared to having to trundle through town to find a car in a car sharing lot. And I think self-charging is a very interesting solution to the charging infrastructure problem. Everyone says, how are we going to charge our cars? If the cars can slink off late at night, empty streets, two miles, you know, a little two mile trips. So your car is just automatically magically charged. You don't even know how it happens. That's much better than gasoline. So it's actually a marvelous solution to our big electrification problems. Great, thank you. Uh, and it's it's an interesting comment that you make on uh, trucking because if you rewind the narrative two years ago, trucking in many cases was viewed to be actually the first expected to be the first to scale, and now that's that's flipping. Uh, Professor Rajkumar, please, I invite you to provide your perspectives on this. You have three minutes. Thank you, Dan. Uh, I think about uh, three specific sectors: robo taxis that Brad is very bullish about, autonomous shuttles that uh, go a fixed route. And the third, of course, is autonomous uh, trucking. So on the robo-taxi front, I think uh, there are uh, two uh, independent uh, uh, deep things going on. One is that uh, the technology has to be customized, if you will, uh, mass maps and so on, do a lot of testing in different areas. Uh, of course, uh, it takes a huge amount of resources to do that in any, any particular city, Phoenix, Austin, so on and so forth. It's a huge uh, investment. Right? Uh, and therefore, uh, the managers, the business people, look for a, a return on the money, right? So that's where the issue is. When will that return actually happen? Right now, it's not happening, right? Uh, and if you look at uh, the numbers from Uber, a uh, million Uber drivers in the US, I believe, right? If each autonomous vehicle basically costs uh, at least $100,000, it's probably more, 
$100,000 times a million is basically a hundred billion. So I guess Brad's comment is that we don't need a million cars to basically make the business viable, uh, deploy to only uh, a small number of cities and such. Uh, but you need to basically have that scale, start making money. The core development team remains the same. The testing team remains the same, but then you're able to basically scale. And then the scale is basically where the money keeps pouring in without any money being spent. And that's where uh, the business becomes profitable. So I think that's a fundamental uh, uh, business tension, if you will, where uh, to not to move to a new city, you need to basically do more development, more testing and so on and so forth. So the uh, the robotaxi model is not organically scalable, if you're problem number one. With respect to autonomous shuttles, uh, Today, the laws do not allow uh, drivers to be taken away from the vehicle, and in which case you basically have a shuttle with all the sensing processing uh, components in them, and you basically have a human driver uh, uh, supervising the driving, it basically becomes financially not so attractive. You actually have the vehicle, which is expensive, and the human already. So I guess it remains to be seen how that uh, plays out companies like uh, Name Mobility. With respect to tracking, Brad and I are on the same page. Uh, Seems like a simpler problem, but it's at higher speeds and the weight, the kinetic energy is much, much higher. So when the very first accident actually happens, how will society react? How will the regulatory infrastructure react? We must be seen, right? So that goes back to all the uh, uh, edge cases that will happen in practice, uh, crashes ahead, debris on the road, sudden bad weather, icy road conditions, slippery oil on the roads and such and so on. And then when things go wrong, of course, there'll be a lot of uh, second guessing, armchair quarterbacking and so on. So that needs to be played itself out, right? So a country like China probably has an advantage that they could basically mandate some things uh, uh, to happen or not happen, if you will. Uh, so I'm less gung-ho because the risks are higher. There's no human in the truck or uh, in, in the uh, vehicle and therefore that causes problems. Thank you. Okay, great. Thank you, Professor Rajkumar. So in the interest of time, uh, we're gonna skip the rebuttal section to, to this. I think. Uh, you know, you're you're both somewhat on the same page. It's just a question of infrastructure, scalability, et cetera. I want to I want to um, cheat though and use that time for one thing, because I for, completely forgot to mention something pretty important. A company I helped build called Starship, which has done five million autonomous deliveries by using a simpler problem on the sidewalk. I would say it's doing autonomous vehicle delivery today and almost would classify as mainstream in 2023. So uh, I just won the debate, but uh, that was, uh, uh, people will argue, of course, whether the sidewalk is a real thing or not, but I just wanted to, I'd forgotten to mention that and I feel very remiss because it's one of my own companies, so. Great, great, okay. Uh, okay, well, let's, let's wrap up. Uh, Brad and Professor Rajkumar, you each have two minutes to provide your uh, closing statements. So Brad, please go ahead. I always have to go first, which is of course, the, definitely the wrong place in a debate. Uh, but Raj has basically said that it's too hard and it's too expensive. And that's why he's skeptical about it becoming uh, mainstream within 10 years. Uh, it is not a task for ordinary investors and VCs. It is a task for people like Larry Page, who he mentioned, billionaires who have the will to make things happen. Uh, but they do have that will. And Jeff Bezos and various others, Apple, all these companies are getting in this game. These are the companies with the vision to make that happen. Those pilots are here. They're going. They're going very strong. We're going to see them solve the problems in robotaxis and delivery and the other things that we mentioned. Um, they're, they're, they're just not intractable as far as anyone can say. And I even would question anyone who wants to make a prediction they're intractable today, which Raj did not. But I do run into people who believe that. Uh, if you can make this happen 
And you can make it so that it, like in New York City and like many cities of Europe and many other places, you provide a service which is viable and can replace the cars. You do get to be in the catbird seat of a $5 trillion industry. The billions invested so far are drops in the bucket compared to the potential for victory there. Victory is not guaranteed. None of these investors imagine that it is, but it's a well-worthy investment. And we have, as I mentioned, companies like Google, Apple, Baidu, Amazon, General Motors, the biggest and most powerful companies and some of the most forward-thinking companies in the world are the ones going after it. And the Chinese are going after it like crazy. We don't see what's going on in China, but if you've been impressed by what's in the United States, there are even bigger scale things going on there. I think the tech's still a bit better in Waymo, but uh, those Chinese companies are very impressive. The public actually is going to love this. Everyone thinks they'll fear it, but every time we see what happens when you put members of the public into one of these vehicles, they trust it too much, frankly. Within a very short amount of time, they're trying to figure out more they can do with it than they're supposed to. I don't think we're going to have any difficulty in getting a large number of people to pay for these services when they're available and bring them mainstream in the next 10 years. It's coming, and it's going to change the world. Great. Okay. Thank you, Brad. Professor Rajkumar, please, you have two minutes for your closing statement. Uh, sure. Uh, I guess uh, just to reiterate what I said earlier, I am a strong believer in how automation, uh, connected autonomy with infrastructure support will actually transform transportation as we know it. But we need time. We are, the problem space is very, very complex. And with time, we will actually conquer it. And they are tractable, but it's a, it's a question of time, right? Uh, so don't overpromise and underdeliver. We already caused a lot of disappointment and uh, lots of people, if you will, uh, we should be cautious going, going forward. Uh, as I said, uh, consumer vehicles can actually incorporate uh, cameras, radars, and LIDARs need to become more robust, uh, uh, even cheaper, uh, and then let them drive on highways, arterial roads, eventually the smaller roads and so on and so forth. Keep collecting more and more data, do uh, over their updates, and over time, they will actually uh, uh, do uh, bigger and better things, more more improve, more improvements, and therefore that's how we basically get uh, full safe autonomy, where the vehicle says, I can drive here, let me do the driving. I cannot drive under these conditions. I will not drive. You human drive, I'm going to stop, right? So that will happen within 10 years is my, uh, my premise. And uh, with the other domains, if you will, robot taxes and so on and so forth, these cases will happen. And because there is no human in the loop, if you will, uh, assist teams coming in and uh, rescuing, the overheads are way too high. And therefore the business side basically begins to fall uh, begins to fall apart. Uh, so that's really my uh, premise, if you will. Uh, Brad made a comment about China. I do tend to agree, uh, China being a different uh, administrative structure and so forth, uh, they actually have lots of money as well, lots and lots of talented individuals. Uh, we in the US and Europe should be very cognizant of that. Uh, they could end up eating our lunch. So, so therefore, uh, I believe uh, uh, states and the government agencies and so on should be investing more in this space not wait for uh, the business investment side, the VC side to basically step in. They've been disappointed with all the hype and uh, the delivery not happening. So therefore we should be cautious if you, because uh, it could end up being winner takes all in a multi-trillion dollar per, per year market. I, I do believe that. I do agree with uh, Brad that uh, uh, the, silent uh, the silent majority is waiting for uh, uh, the demonstration of safety in these vehicles, when that actually happens, the silent majority will adopt the vehicles 
the skeptical uh, minority will eventually come over. And meanwhile, of course, there are early adopters for any technology and so on and so forth. So that is definitely hope on the horizon, little, literally speaking. Uh, I guess all these companies, Amazon, GM Cruise, even uh, Waymo spending lots and lots of dollars. Yes, they have lots of dollars, if you will. It is not at all obvious that level of investment can continue without the revenues coming in, without the profits coming in. Great. Okay. Thank you so much, Professor Rajkumar. And thank you, uh, Brad. Uh, very insightful debate, very enlightening. I think shedding side on both sides. Uh, and, and I think to me, really a question of just how do we manage, there's been clear progress, how do we manage expectations uh, going forward? So with that, Amar, I'll hand the, uh, the mic back to you. Thanks, Dan. Uh, thank you all for joining today. Before we go to the reception, please take a moment to go respond to the poll question in the chat. When we started this debate out, it was about 50-50 split between pro and con. Let's see what we get after the debate, whether we changed any minds or anything else. It's a, it's a bit of a sampling here. So I really wanna thank Brad and Raj for being to take so much fire today and for helping us understand a really complex issue. Also like to thank Dan for keeping them honest. Thanks also to Barclays, Carnegie Mellon and everyone else who helped bring this together. And once again, thank you all for joining us. So please stay on to speak directly with the participants. I'll be opening some breakout rooms. You can either choose to be with Brad on the pro side or Raj on the con side, and just to open discussion for as long as Brad and Raj are willing to, to, to bear with it. So I'll open those rooms up now. Please join us, please answer the poll question and join us again at Impact Debates. Uh, ImpactDebates.com is where we host and maintain a history of these events. Thanks everybody.